I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, so game two of the Stanley Cup final. I think it actually followed a pretty similar path. But the result was different. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Lightning got off to a early lead and were able to hang on after Dallas sort of turned the tide in their favor in the third period. That Valiant comeback bid did not come to fruition, though. And we have an even series in the NHL's championship series. And that's probably a good thing because I think we deserve, you know, covering hockey all through summer. I think we deserve at least a grand finale. Don't we, Mike? Absolutely. We need it was looking a little anticlimactic last game looking a little toothless on Tampa Bay side but this is going to be this is going to be a rivalry there's some hatred between these two teams I don't know how it developed this quickly but I'm looking forward to it and Corey Perry managed to do something a little bit more of a clown show than Patrick Maroon last game so we got two clowns on each side we got two teams that are pretty good on each side so I think things are going to be good through games you know three through potentially seven uh, I did think this was going to go south though I don't know what how you were feeling off the first a few shifts of the game, but all of a sudden, I mean, I think one of the worries was, yeah, Tampa Bay is pretty beat up and they're pretty beat up coming to the series and Dallas looks fresh. And this might be over quickly because of that. I mean, we've seen championship series go just like that because one team is just better equipped for that Stanley cup final. Uh, and Nikita Kucherov was just a magnet for punishment mm-hmm. for the first couple of shifts. And things were not going very well because when he, when he gets a little, when he gets banged up and he gets irritated, it can go one or two days. The first way was, you know, he kind of self-destructs. We've seen that against Columbus, seen that in previous playoffs, even before that and since then. Uh, but sometimes he just destroys you. He just decides to turn it up. And while it didn't happen immediately, uh, he definitely had one of his showtime moments uh, on the, I believe it was the first power, no, it was the second power second play power goal, play. the third power play for Tampa Bay in the first period. We'll talk about all that, but I think that was a key moment for, De- for Tampa Bay was just getting that first one because they went from a team that was just like, geez, things are not working out well for us to brain point scoring that goal. And, hey, we're protecting a lead here, and this is where we feel more comfortable. I mean, yeah, they, clearly Tampa is a really banged up team. They, you know, they were missing two of their top six defensemen tonight in, uh, in Bogosian and Shannon. Yeah, getting that. Now, now, do we know if those were coaches' decisions or not? I'm not sure. Like, it, they were, it was referred to on the broadcast as, in, like, not as injuries, but as absences. But it was, it, they seemed to really be hinting towards injuries. I don't know. But it's, it was – it was odd that, that both of those guys, two staples on the right side, at least, you know, would both be scratched in the same game. That doesn't seem to make sense. Well, they've been, well, Bogosian certainly has been a staple for them, but Coburn's kind of been in and out. And also Luke Shen has been in for a lot of it, but Jan Ruta was banged up for them. And I think he was mm-hmm. been hurt for pretty much this entire postseason. But I remember Cooper saying that, you know, talking about Stamkos, he deflected a little bit and started talking about Jan Ruta could potentially come back. So I was actually surprised to see, that the top three used pairings from Tampa Bay in the regular season were actually the six, were the you know, were configured with the six guys who played tonight. So as much as they, you know, they're scratching Bogosian, who came in late, obviously, in the regular season uh, at the trade deadline or right before the trade line, trade deadline. Uh, but Shen and Coburg as well, obviously, they're guys who have played a lot for them. But this was kind of going back to a state of normalcy after what's been sort of a, a strange defensive configuration for them going with 7D and obviously kind of, flip-flopping between Coburn and uh, Bogosian. For, well, no, Bogosian's been in, Coburg and Shen. I don't think Bogosian comes out if he's healthy because he's just been so important to them throughout this playoff run. So I think it was a combination of, you know, they wanted to get Ruta in, uh, but Bogosian probably a little bit banged up. You never really know, but this didn't seem like exactly what they wanted to do, at least for this game. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to give credit to Dallas in this game as well. I know that they were on the, on the losing end, but this game could have unraveled very quickly. It was a messy first period for them. They were outshot 14-6. to six. It looked like Kudobin was, was really shaky. You know, the defense was just collapsing in on itself and the way that they were just taking constant penalties and letting these, you know, kind of Harlem Globetrotters type plays with, with you know, the Kutra pass and all that kind of stuff. And then they ended up tightening it up. They, they came back with a response. Like, Dallas just doesn't go away. They're outshot, like I said, 14 to 6 in the first period, down 3 nothing. It looked pretty hopeless. They come out and they outshoot, I think it was 18 to 6 or 18 to 3 or something in the second period. It was, it was crazy. They, they bring it into a one-goal game and then actually make the shots pretty even and push into the end. This is what makes a team – like, I look through this in the prism of the Leafs, right? And, if the, and because we're, you know, live, laugh, Leafs, and, and, and that's what we're supposed oh, yeah. to be. And I was thinking, if the Leafs were in Dallas's position, if they had come out in this game and they had played a first period the way that Dallas did, there's no way it's a 3-2 at final. There's no way. It would be like, it would be like a 6-2 final or something like that. I mean, you know? they, did, they did tie a game with like, you know, two minutes left in game four and went in overtime. Yes, exactly. But, I mean. But that's an early lead. I mean, they, they yeah. you know, they, they give up way earlier than that, I guess. Yeah, like, like the thing is, is that the Leafs kind of, turned it on in that game in the last, what, three minutes, and they scored a goal a minute. Whereas, three, three strong shifts in a row. Exactly. Whereas Dallas, they were like, you know, we're, we're not going – like, we're not going into the, you know, into the cold night, uh, uh, not kicking it. I don't know what the – go we're not going gently in, into the cold night, I guess. Is that the poem? No, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you need cold. Gently into the night might be what Gently into the night? Okay, cool. I just yeah. think it adds to the metaphor if it's cold. It does, but, definitely. But they, but they were like, we're not, we're not going down without a fight here. And they ended up kicking and screaming and, and pushing it to a one-goal game. And, you know, who knows if that last face-off in, with three seconds left goes a certain way, it could be an overtime game and a different result. I really thought that their resiliency, that kind of encapsulated the Rick Bonus Dallas Stars there. We're like, no matter – and Greg Wyshynski tweeted this too. He's like, Three nothing. They're getting outshot like crazy. And he goes, "This is a good time to remind everyone, like these Dallas Stars, like they don't, they don't go down. Like it, like they're, mm-hmm. they're gonna come back and look. That's what they did. So I was really impressed by just how they, the never say die attitude. My theory is that Dallas could potentially be one of the most exciting teams in the NHL if they chose to be the team that they are when they're down mm-hmm. two or three goals in the third period when they really activate the defense and it's like you know they're not worried about getting caught with pinches and they're not worried about having a guy get caught low." and having, you know, not enough guys back in transition defense, they're a really exciting team because they can really put the pedal to the metal and go for it. Problem is, they're usually, you know, either leading a game or in a tight game, and they like to play that shutdown defense. And instead, they're the second or third lowest scoring team in the NHL in the regular season and finish in the middle of the standings. Uh, but I digress. Yeah, but we've seen when, when, they let their, when they let their dogs run, when they let their horses fly. You know, we've seen we've – seen what they can be like when this when the guns are really unleashed there and and this was in that second period Andre Vasilevsky just stood on his head and kind of kept that kept that game from from really falling apart on Tampa side too but Dallas came out and they put up an almost a full game's worth of shots in that period and looked like a completely different team like they they have the offensive capability if they want to but they play like we said they play a very structured game they're almost like the Islanders except more interesting and that that's an improvement on what we could have had. So, so the series is tied. Uh, I think we got to try and glean different things from the first two games, because obviously there's no advantage either way. And I think one of them might be, and it goes to what we're talking about here is that Dallas was a little bit more successful with their late game comeback bid, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Tampa turned the tables on Dallas and they had all those shots in the third period. But it didn't, it, it didn't really seem like they had any chance of, you know, getting back in that game. It didn't really seem like they had any chance of really making it interesting at all. Whereas Dallas, you know, they got that late goal in the second period from Pavelski, able to get a second one as well, able to threaten in the final moments. Like, I think they were just a little more successful in their situation than Tampa was. Now, I mean, I think Tampa was pretty run down in that first game, and that plays into it as well. But I guess what I'm trying to get it get to is do you see an advantage either way now that they're tied now that we're two games in now that we have some information to work with uh, are you leaning one way or the other based on the 120 minutes that we've seen these two teams play man this is just such a remarkably tight series like that that first game I think was a huge product of Tampa being fatigued of Tampa only being you know one day removed from a you know a, a drag him out series beforehand but this was a really sort of even playing field game I thought and both of these teams really showed pretty much everything in what 
they're capable of doing. The one thing though that I would maybe give give uh, air on either side here is that I give Tampa maybe a slight edge because their power play really came back to life this game. I mean, that was the story of the game essentially is that they were 0-3 in game one. It looked completely lifeless. A Leafs-like mm-hmm. power play, if you will. And then, or a Paul McFarlane Leafs power play. And then this game, they were 2-4 and four, and they were just firing up. Like they, the, the chemistry was back. And if they've recaptured that kind of magic, if, they, or the, if they're able to turn into an elite power play again with all the penalties, like this is, a, this is, a, this is not a put the whistles away series. Like the refs are calling everything. And so yep. both, both sides are going to get their opportunities. And if Tampa is going to be able to harness the elite offensive power that they have on that power play, I mean, that could be an edge. And I, in a series as tight as this, you look for any, min, any edge possible, as minuscule as they can be. And I think that's one that could really push them over the top. If they've, if they've recaptured that magic, if Sergachev is firing darts from, from the blue line that are actually hitting the net, um, you know, that if, if Kucherov is feeling it and is able to see those passing lanes and Palat's just like the best, you know, got kind of, uh, uh, I don't I want to say just sort of like garbage man, like he just in front of the net, just picking up all those, all those feeds right in the slot, right in mm-hmm. the back door, all that. I, I think that could be the slight edge. I would lean Tampa, but man, he can, it, it, this changes on a game by game basis. I'm glad you mentioned the early power plays because I think we should, we should talk about their mm-hmm. start a little bit more. Uh, I thought it was hilarious how quickly it seemed they got their swagger back after yeah. scoring that power play goal. I mean, the first they got three power plays in a row. I, I don't know exactly how early they were, how when was the last they were. time that happened in a, in the playoffs, by the way. And I guess they were deserved. I mean, maybe one was a little one was a little bit weak, but you know, you, you mentioned that they're calling them, and they definitely, you know, if they're going to call them, those are three that should have been called, unless mm-hmm. the standard is at something that is, you know, beyond what we've seen in the regular season. Those were penalties. Uh, the first one was brutal, though, and it might have been because Kucherov was still hurting, but he just gave away the puck like so sadly, mm-hmm. and, and it's just like this guy doesn't have it right now. Like he's going into self destruction mode. They get another power play, and he sends maybe the best pass of these entire playoffs. Might right. be a little bit of hyperbole, but an amazing pass that gives pretty much anyone the chance to put that in the net. Mm-hmm. Andre Palat, while not you know the deftest of touch, was still still able to corral it and put it into the empty net because Kudobin was completely out of you know his. He was trying to find his gear and pick it up off the ground after the Kucherov fake. Uh, so it, it's crazy how it went from you know just completely lost to Braden Point scoring that goal, and then all the swaggers back, and Nikita Kucherov is going showtime again. And obviously, they got that third goal really quickly after. I think it was like three goals in the space of four minutes. So that was the exact start, obviously, that Tampa needed. But getting that power play going, that's maybe even more important than, you know, just that strong start. Because if the power play is going, they can work on that, and that could lead to, you know, more important things down the road. And down the road, potentially, without Stamkos, who obviously is the guy who makes that power play complete. Absolutely. Like to your point with Kucherov, he is, he's like an open book. You can read that guy's emotions just from, you know, 50 feet away, just by looking at the posture on him. And he, in that, right before, you know, that, that power play, he looked like, like you said, a man defeated. You could really tell his shoulders were slumping. The broadcast even mentioned it where he was just, you know, he looked like a pissed off kind of, you know, when you get to that point where you're just kind of like, nothing's going your way, you're just pissed off and you're frustrated and you kind of just want to throw a tantrum and he had to leave the bench for a little bit because he got flattened in a, you know, in a chase for the puck behind the net. It just wasn't going his way. And then he, and then you're right, they immediately got their swagger back. It was almost like, it's, it's crazy, you know, the kind of what momentum can do to a hockey team, especially in a playoff series, especially in the Stanley Cup final, and even in the confines of a bubble now where things are, everything is just so heightened. Um, they, they get that first power play goal, and it's almost like, all right, guys, we can do this. Remember how good we are? Remember, remember how we scored all those goals in the regular season and how we're touted as, you know, this, this unstoppable offensive juggernaut who's playing really high-tempo hockey? Well, that's us. We can do that, and this is proof right here. And they just came out and they started firing, and they felt like this confident – you know, this confident Tampa team that was taking the chances that they used to, that just was able to, to get into the dirty areas in front of the net. All their shots last game were coming from all over the place. It was just, it was, but nothing high danger. And in this game, at least, they were really clogging up the slot. They were really, you know, taking it to the stars and it worked. And I, yeah, you're right. That, that first power play goal, it was almost like, you know, the floodgates then opened for them and it really gave them an opportunity to be like, hey, this is who we are. It's proof again. We, we didn't lose our magic. We didn't get monstered. Let's go and let's win this game. So it was a slow and undisciplined start from Dallas. Obviously, mm-hmm. those three penalties not really producing much on, on the offensive front. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they spent a lot of time penalty killing. 
Uh, but Anton Kudobin certainly played a role in them falling behind in this game, obviously. I mean, he had three yeah. goals uh, that he let in in, you know, the first, uh, I believe it was first 11 or 12 minutes of the game. So obviously he played a role here. I mean, two of those shots, though, went went off the stick of Vesta Lindell. So a little bit more difficult to uh, save the puck when, you know, it's being deflected by your own teammate uh, and it's going through traffic and so on and so forth. But the one, despite how good the Kucherov pass was, I mean, that was still on him. He was the one that bit so hard on that shot fake and let, you know, Pallad have all the time and the space in the world to get one by him. So I guess, where are you on Kadobin? I don't want to say the magic's, you know, running out. That's just, you know, that's, it's just, you know, way too premature to, to, to suggest that. Um, but this wasn't his greatest start and it was his first or second loss in, you know, the last seven or eight games now because Dallas has been on quite the run. Uh, does Tampa have something here? Is Kudobin maybe not, you know, is he, is he not, is he shrinking in a matchup against Vasilevsky? Is there a hot take you could offer me? Because I feel like we'd have to deliver a hot take to really criticize Kudobin in this, in this instance. Yeah. I know, I know what you're trying to do, man. You're trying to make me turn on him like a Frederick Anderson. Like it's, (laughs) yes, yes. but I I can't like my haphazard way of putting it on the tee for you. Exactly. But, you know, I can't do it. Like, the Magic's not gone. He played a decent game. He had a bad start. He was okay. And, yeah. and that can cripple a team, obviously, and it did. But, you know, he ended up stopping. He ended up, you know, getting, I think it was uh, 31 shots. He ended up stopping, what, 29 of them, 28 of them? Like, that's not yeah. terrible. He's been fantastic. He was fantastic in the game in uh, game one. He's been fantastic in this entire playoffs. But this game could have gone really out of hand really quickly. And, yes, he started really slow and he looked shaky. And he got better as the game went on. And you look, you want, your, you want a goaltender to be able to go out and, and set a tone right away and give your team a chance to win right away. But I think when it comes to all that Kudobin has done, or Hudobin, however you pronounce his name, has done, you, gotta, you give him the benefit of the doubt. It's a 1-1 series. It's, you know, he's, he gave the team a chance to win later in the game. Um, I, I, I think the magic, I don't want to put a, a hot take in that the magic is worn off or anything. He's, he's fine. Everyone has rough games. Vasilevsky's had his fair share of games where you like, where you go, yeah, he's, he's, he was fine, but was he the best goalie on the ice? No. Um, so I think he'll, it'll be a big bounce back. This is, these are two teams that bounce back. Like these are two teams that when they go down, they respond. And I mean, I'm both and and it's now Dallas's turn to kind of prove that again because Tampa clearly did tonight. And I think that Dallas is really going to do that. They, they, were, they had their magic going even later in this game. Like I said, this is a remarkably tight series, and I just I can't bury Kudo. And he's been so good, and he had a rough start, but whatever. Yeah, he battled too. I mean, I, I was thinking at a point if Tampa gets one more here when they were really pouring it on after the mm-hmm. Shatker goal, I think there was a couple more shifts after that where they were creating some high-danger looks and just didn't quite get one in. He battled in those moments, and I thought if one more gone in, they're like, okay, we're going to save Kudobin now. We're going to do the same thing that we did against Vegas where Ottinger went in for the last, the last period. I believe it was in game two. It was the only game that Vegas won. That, that was definitely game two. So uh, I thought there might be a quick pull and, okay, we'll rest you and we'll get you ready for game four because, or game three because how are we going to come back from a 4 nothing deficit after the first period? Uh, but he hung in there and he made some late saves uh, in that period and obviously made, he, he made every save from there on in. So I give him credit for battling. Obviously, it wasn't an ideal start. Essel and Dell didn't give him many favors, but uh, he obviously wasn't at his best, but then turned it on again. It was pretty good. Gave his team a chance to win. And he's done just that pretty much in every game that he's played. He's given the Stars a chance to win, and they've, they've rewarded him more often than not. And technically, another one did go in. It just got called back. Like it's, that is true. Yeah, and he still is able to battle and, and get through it. I think that, you know, we, we've said this a million times, but in the middle of a playoff series like this, the mental aspect of the game is so important. And I think that you know, Hudobin, the fact that he could rein it in, the fact that he could keep it together after that terrible first period. I mean, I was wondering if they were going to pull him. Like, it was, it, it was at least... Yeah, I thought three, it was coming. I yeah, it was me coming. too. It was at least three goals on 14 shots in the first period. And so it was, that, that, it was getting dicey. And the fact that, you know, he was able to pull himself together and even on that called back goal, he, there, it didn't shake him at all. It's remarkable. Like that, that is the kind of uh, mental edge that you'd like to see from a guy, especially a veteran guy. But it's surprising because this is someone who had never started a playoff game until before this year. And now he's a starter, undisputed starter, and is, you know, carving a, a you know, a, a playoff uh, legacy of his own. So it's really, man, I, I was really impressed with him. I think the only star that deserves a lot of heat is probably Tyler Sagan, who, Absolutely. as you note in our notes here, that he looked invisible again. And I cannot really think of a moment where he, you know, 
he was really center stage, when he was really making things happen. Uh, I mean, there's been talk about him potentially being hurt, and that's probably the case because probably everybody's hurt at this at this point of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But uh, it just seems like, yeah, they've gotten scoring from all these places that, you know, found money everywhere on the lineup. Obviously, in game one, the three guys who beat goaltenders had four goals combined the entire year. Like, they've just been finding goals from whoever is going to provide them. And Tyler Sagan has not been involved in that really since – I mean, we're talking about the first round and maybe even before that when they were trying to secure, uh, you know, a better seed in the qualification round. Tyler Sagan's probably going to have to get going if they're going to win the Stanley Cup final. But yeah. we've been saying that about, you know, the previous series. He's going to have to get going if they're going to be Vegas. He's going to have to get going if they're going to be Colorado. And that hasn't been the case. So maybe Tyler Sagan just doesn't have to get going. But if they do lose, he's going to wear some of it because he just hasn't been, you know, the guy who earns all the money and the guy who – puts up 30 goals regularly and the guy who used to fight for scoring titles or at least come close. Uh, Tyler Sagan just isn't the same player right now. And it might be for reasons that are really outside of his control or not. Uh, but it's, you know, it's hurting Dallas in these games for sure. Yeah. He's, he's playing like a uh, and horse poop as a, uh, as his, his, I guess, owner was exactly. Um, now I'm going to, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he is injured. Uh, hopefully. Cause he has. I think so. I would hope so, right? Like he's got not hope anyone's injured, but due to his production, you would hope that that there's some other factor that's you know imploring this other than just bad play. He has eight points in 21 games. Now there's a great metaphor, not metaphor. There's a great, um, I guess, like example that uh, I think I've I've heard Steve Dangle use a bunch, and it really applies here, especially with the Tampa connection. Is that in 2014 um, when Tampa lost in the Cup final? Uh, I think that was to uh, LA. I think anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but uh or the eastern conference final i think but they had so tyler johnson had like a broken wrist and he kept that was playing. the stanley cup final 2015 right 2015 okay yeah so he, so he had a broken wrist and he was playing and he wasn't able to do anything his his, his stats were terrible they were sagan-esque you would say because mm -hmm. he had a broken wrist or a broken hand or something and, you, and at a certain point you go okay we'd love to have tyler johnson in our lineup he's he's a great player he's you know he's, he's a triplet he's, he's he's a big part of this team but how much of a drop-off in play is it where, uh, um, between, you know, a guy who's in our press box coming in and Tyler, and Tyler Johnson with one hand who can't shoot? Right. And now we're looking at this with Sagan. And they're ha like, this is, this is not a bad hockey player. This is someone who averages a point per game in a bad year. And he, this is, if he's hurt, at what point does Dallas have to go, you know, look, we, we, we dug Yoel Kiviranta out of our press box and he came in and he, and he popped in you know, a hat trick, he's got five goals now. At what point does an injured Sagan harm the team more than having him in the, in the actual lineup? And maybe you need to give him, maybe you need to start moving some, I, I know he's a staple of the team, but look, there's no tomorrow in these Stanley Cup, in these Stanley Cup playoffs. Even though there's, there's games moving forward, every single game matters so much. It can be your season on the line. At what point are you, you going to put up with getting nothing from this player, especially if injuries are involved, when you can insert maybe someone who's clearly less skilled but has the actual physical capabilities of putting together a better at least a replicable or, or somewhat better offensive performance here I just don't know because at a certain point Sagan's like you said he's got to get going and I couldn't I, you could if you held a gun to my head and I wasn't paying attention to this game I could I could say you know he wasn't playing tonight like he he, he I didn't I can't remember a single memorable thing he did there was one time in, in a in a replay where I think he was in front of the net that's the only time I noticed him on the ice. He was invisible, and that's just not something you can put up with with Tyler Sagan, a guy not only is making as much money as he is, but who is supposed to be not a, like a leader and an offensive focal point on this team. At a certain point, the chips are going to be down against an offensive team like Tampa, and you're going to need your stars to, to start playing like stars. And he, he's played the farthest thing from that right now. Something's got to give. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sagan was at his most noticeable when he was the last one off for warm-up because the broadcast loves to point out oh, they love he it. loves being the last one out for warm-up. He's uh, so I quirky actually, and fun, isn't it? It's so he quirky. He, he wow. really is. He really, he's fun. Oh, God. He's so fun. Uh, but he's not playing very well. I'm glad you brought up Tyler Johnson, though, because I think the difference between Johnson and Sagan, I think it's a really good comparable. But the difference was we all knew Tyler Johnson was hurt, right? Yes. So there was like, we, there was, you know, viz of him being slashed and grabbing at his wrist. And you knew something was wrong with him and he was playing anyway. And you, you just, you know, lionize this guy for playing through it because he's clearly hurt. He's playing. And we all love, you know, the Warriors that do that in the Stanley Cup playoffs every year but there's no indication or no I don't say indication that's the wrong word but there's no direct evidence to whatever Mm -hmm. is ailing Sagan and until you know there's something that comes out which probably will come out uh we're probably going to rip on him until the end because he's just not meeting the expectations and we don't actually know what's ailing him so until we know he's probably going to get the heat yeah, until, until we have evidence on the contrary, we have to look at what he's doing in the context of, of what we're seeing and what we know. And what we know is, like, we don't know if he's injured. We, we have no information for that. And all we can see is that he's just not showing anything on the ice. So clearly we're going to have to criticize him for it. He's making, what, $8.9 million or something a year. And he's, he's you know, part of that, you know, core of, of, uh, of Dallas. But at the same time, like, if he is injured, like – at what point do you realize that maybe an injured Tyler Sagan isn't like a Tyler Sagan who can't shoot or a Tyler Sagan who's something's ailing him. At what point are we going to say he's, he's a better option than maybe a replacement level guy in the press box. Who's at least healthy, who at least rested, who at least has legs or arms or whatever is ailing Sagan that, it, that you can actually have a fit. Like he has the physical faculties to put a puck in the net. Like it, because clearly Sagan doesn't have that right now, at least from what we're seeing. No, he doesn't. Uh, he definitely doesn't. Uh, before we get to the Smythe check-in, I want to bring mm-hmm. up something that may just interest me, but I want to bounce it off you. And it doesn't make, like, we all know that the Lightning had been able to sort of get around cap problems at, you know, record pace, right? They're always able to get guys to buy in. They're always able to get guys off the scrap heap. They're able to get so jam so much talent into their roster year after year. So I was looking at their defense court. Nine defensemen have played for the Lightning in these mm-hmm. playoffs. Those nine defensemen together almost have 5,000 regular season games played. How is it possible that a team in the salary cap era where, you know, you play, you play your games, you can go and get whatever money you want. How is it possible that the Lightning have nine options on defense that have, all of them have played at least 125 regular season games and they all amass to 5,000 almost? The Boston Bruins, Zdeno Chara has 1,553 games himself. Mm-hmm. And they, they have their entire team, their entire defense core has about 3,3500 games between them. So the Lightning have 1,500 games more of experience at the back end. And what's also amazing to me is that Victor Hedman leads all those players, except for Coburn, leads all the players that played tonight in games played. So Coburn, Hedman, Bogosian, uh, Shattenkirk, McDonough, these guys are horses and they've been around forever. How did Tampa Bay Lightning get all these players? Like, I know why. They were sort of cast off and they're at the end of their tenures and, and so on and so forth. But they have such an ability to, to, I guess, identify bit parts and have them play roles. Like, all these guys have played roles for them. They all have played so much. And they're all, you know, there were other trash for a lot of teams. But they find a way to use these guys because they have that experience and the value of experience 
and depth at, at that position. Like you look at the Maple Leafs, they've got like four or five guys that have played over a hundred. Mm-hmm. Justin Hall's like the next best at six. Then you're going down to the Marinch- Marinchins actually played a lot going down to the Sandy. Like you just don't have the same depth of like, it's not even close. The no, lightning just blow everybody out of the water in this regard. And I don't know what it says other than the fact that they're able to convince because they're a destination for players that are, you know, looking to extend their careers. But I, I just think it shows maybe even a Brisebois thing as opposed to Iserman, where he just wants all these guys that if inserted into the lineup can do a good job and no other team can match the lightning in terms of their depth and experience in the back end. No, you're right. Like it's it that that's insane. Like that number, it's just ridiculous. But a lot of these guys, like they're the Island of Misfit Toys. Like you know, you have a Luke Shen who was cast off. You know, from I can't even remember the team that Luke Shen played on before he he was a, a Lightning. Was it was it the Arizona? The Arizona, Kings, Arizona, something like that. Something something like that. And then Kevin Shattenkirk, he was bought out, and they signed him for pretty cheap. And Bogosian, clearly, his contract was terminated. They picked him up, and even a guy like Jan Ruda, like it's. They're pick, these guys are the they're all Braden Coburn like he yes they're 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 you know they're and they're not necessarily crazy old like they're all kind of other than uh, Coburn of hovering around the twenty nine to thirty one um, era all of them are pretty much in that except for Cernak and Sergeyev but no they like these are all sort of Island of Misfit toys castoffs you know our trash is a is another man's treasure and you're right Breezeball loves himself a reclamation project he loves picking up these guys to you know that maybe didn't fit in, in the different organization, turning him into really useful pieces for them. Like Luke Shen was, a, was in the AHL for most of this mm-hmm. season, but now he, he was playing legit minutes in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Kevin Shattenkirk was bought out. He looked like he, looked like he was washed in, in New York, and now he's like a, a stud top four defenseman. You know, Bogosian, like, like we were talking about before, he was, he had his contract terminated. He hated playing hockey in Buffalo. He looked, he looked completely done, even from just a health perspective. Now he's here playing, you know, meaningful minutes in most of these games they, they the lightning have just this incredible uh ability to find these guys like the reclamation like these reclamation projects where they they find these you know these guys on the trash heap and they insert them in a patriot-esque way into their system and play them in a way that just works to what their skills are they didn't need you know they don't need zach bogosian to be this you know like a, a play driving defenseman on, on his um on his pairing like he was being paid to be in Buffalo, he just needs to be sheltered next to a next to a you know a, a competent defenseman, and he'll be fine. He'll give you that solid defensive presence. He'll be he'll give you a warm body on the right side, which is at this point is really all you need. Like it's it, yeah, I'm I'm just in awe of the way that Tampa is able to get these players together. Like it, it's it's amazing. It's like they're playing GM mode. And I'm in awe of that cross sport comparison because that's exactly it. It's the Patriot way. That's mm-hmm. exactly what they've done here. Uh, you said it way better than my rambling. So we'll just move on and get to the Con Smythe watch because I can't say it better than that, but that's what I was trying to get at. Kudobin. Uh, Kudobin. Better, better pronounce Kudobin. He's probably still the leader. I mean, it wasn't a great game for him. He took the loss. I don't think that, you know, we're going to check in on the Con Smythe every game. I don't think anything really swayed it away from Kudobin for me. Uh, I know we've obviously talked about Heiskanen as well. But now I guess we can talk about Tampa Bay a little bit because they've evened the series. Obviously, Braden Point with another big goal. But Nikita Kucherov, he's, I believe he probably still has the lead in, in, uh, in postseason scoring right now because he was ahead he and he had at least two points tonight. So uh, maybe, maybe Kucherov's sneaking into discussion a little bit. I think he's probably still behind Hedman and Vasilevsky. Uh, but Braden Point obviously did a little bit more to cement his case. And, and Victor Hedman... You know, he had an, an he plays great every game. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, he didn't have an outstanding game. Uh, he didn't score, you know, or extend his his record for goals amongst defensemen in the postseason. Uh, but another good game from him. And obviously Vasilevsky was solid as well. But maybe Kucherov is getting into the mix as well. Do you see that? I, I see that for sure. But in, in personally for me, it's it's Vasilevsky as, as my favorite on Tampa's side. I mean, he's he's just... He, he saved that game for them in the second period. He was the only player on the ice on, on Tampa that was really doing anything. Guy's got a 929. The, I think these numbers are before tonight, so he even they might even be better at this point. But 929, he's stopping six, pretty much seven goals, saved above average. He, he's their backbone. You know, it's, it's where he goes, uh, the rest of the team goes. And, and Vasilevsky is just being the dominant force. And it kind of gets overlooked at certain points because he's so good, we kind of lose his 
his brilliance, we lose the forest and the trees. We lose his brilliance in sort of the minutia of every game and how much the spotlight is on every game. But no, he's, he's just been solid throughout this all and, you know, elite throughout this all. And he's without a doubt the best goalie in the world right now. And yeah, I, 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 the numbers speak for themselves. The on-ice product speaks for itself. I got, yeah, he, he's my favorite. But with this game, Kucherov definitely in there. And Hedman, I would put him. It's tough, man. Like, the, all, all these teams it's, have – It's tough. It's tough with Tampa. I know. The, the more I talk, the more I get convinced with each, each player that gets into my head. Cause, but I would – honestly, I would put – for Tampa, it would be Vasilevsky, Point, Hedman for me. Because okay. they just have all – Point has just scored so many crucial goals here. He's such a force. The team looks completely different when he's in the lineup when, to, opposed to when he's out. They look like a different unit. Um, so he's really important. And then Hedman, I mean – he uh, he's just an absolute like stud like his every every i remember back in the day when he was about to get drafted where they, people were like he's better than nicholas lindstrom was at this point in his career and i'm like okay like let's let's take it down a notch here it's, it's this is nicholas lindstrom we're talking about but man he's come close to matching that comparison like he is as close to a perfect defender as we can get right now. And I know that, you know, some of the advanced stats guys say that his, his defensive numbers are a little bit lackluster, but you get that offensive output and just like the big body, the ability to, to suppress those shots on the outside, man, I'm big Victor Hedman fan. So I think that's my top three on the Tampa side. Yeah. when you're literally counted on to do everything for a everything. team, obviously some of the numbers, you know, you can't be in complete control of the game at all times. And Victor Hedman is basically being charged to, you know, to basically do that. He's the one that has to be out there in every important moment for the lighting. And I guess that's why I would probably have him number one right now for me. But Braden Point is close because Braden Point has literally been the difference between them winning and losing. Like yeah. he's third, his, he missed two games against the Islanders. They lost both those games. So his record in the postseason is 13 and three himself when he's in the lineup. Uh, he had a tough game one, minus three on the stat sheet, and he just wasn't right at seeing in that game. Nobody was, nobody was great in that game. Uh, but obviously that was a big – another turning point moment. He scored so many big goals, two overtime winners, opening and closing series with overtime winners. And to get them going tonight was another important one. So he's had so many important moments. I think the important moments, you know, bring him near to the level of Hedman, but not quite there yet. So we're both on Hedman, and we're both on Hudobin as of game two. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. And you can tell how important that Hedman was because there was that huge kerfuffle with the, with the penalties where, like, there was three – there were three uh, lightning in the penalty box and I think two or three uh, shar uh, stars – not sharks – stars in the, penalty, in the opposing penalty box. And Rick Bonus was like, make sure that you figure out that Maroon got the first penalty, so he should be the first one out of the box. Don't game this system and, and let Victor Hedman come out first so you, you get your stud back. Like, he's that's – that's how good he is, is that the coach was like, hey, hey, hey. He, if, he, if, we can, if we can milk another 15 seconds of no Victor Hedman in this game, we're going to do it. Make sure that Maroon gets out first. That's respect right there. 5,000 games on the lightning back end, but it's, it's really, really the only ones that Hedman's – Hedman's the only one that matters, right? Like, Bonus yes. will take his chances with anyone else on the lightning, uh, but Hedman is definitely the guy that he's got to focus in on the most. Okay, let's go into the news and notes, and it's going to be an all-NHL awards mm -hmm. news and notes because we got – the four major awards, I guess, were handed out. I believe they teased it as five. That's just because Drysaddle won the Ted Lindsay. Is it still called yeah, the Ted Lindsay? Yeah, it, which is the most outstanding one. The most outstanding. Voted by the players? Yes. Yes, it's voted by but the players. One that, the one that really matters most is the Hart Trophy. So let's begin with Leon Drysaddle, who won the Hart Trophy, winning it over Nathan McKinnon and Artemi Panarin, and a cast of thousands. There was a lot of good performances this year. There's no doubt about that. But Drysaddle's point total was way beyond everyone else. I mean, I think he had 15 more than the next best nominee, which was Panarin, I believe. Uh, more than, you know, the second most was Connor McDavid, and he blew him out of the water. I think Dreisaitl won the Hart Trophy during that four or five game span where Connor McDavid was out of the lineup, and Dreisaitl went off for like 17 points in five games. Like, it was something ridiculous, and it was like at a tenuous moment for the Oilers where, okay, McDavid's out. Are they going to miss the playoffs now and lose a bunch of games in a row and just be out of it? No, Dreisaitl stepped up, and he, I think in those moments there, he won the voters in his direction. It was a long time ago, but uh, obviously uh, Dreisaitl's a worthy winner. I don't know if he had the most outstanding season. He obviously had the point totals, and I'm not really mad at him getting it because I think if you score 115 points in games uh, and you lead the league, uh, it's, it's a pretty good case. Like, good for you. You got the points, but – 
Nathan McKinnon had like 40 more points than, than the next closest guy on his team. If you take Nathan McKinnon off the avalanche, they don't make the playoffs. Like it's, it's every, here's the thing. Every year, Jack Eichel should get the, the heart. Because if Jack Eichel gets taken off the Sabres, the Sabres don't even sh- bother showing up to the rink. That guy no, does everything for them. And the thing we have to remember is that Ted Lindsay is the most outstanding player in the league, which means, yeah, sure, Drysaddle, get that. You, you have 115 points in, what is it, 71 games? That's incredible. You, you are clearly the most outstanding player in the league. But, it, but when, it comes to the, when it comes to the most valuable player to his team, no matter what, I don't care how many points he has, if there's any debate about whether or not that the Hart Trophy winner is even the best player on his own line, then he shouldn't win it. It, it, like, it goes against the entire definition of what the Hart Trophy is. It, depending on the game situation, let's say the Oilers are pressing, for, you know, they're down with two minutes left and they're playing their best players all on one line. Drysaddle's not even the best player on the ice in his, in his team's jersey. It's McDavid. Like, it's, it's remarkable. You're, the fact that another player, a, a teammate of his, his name even got mentioned the same sense where you're like, yeah, he's the second highest scoring Hart Trophy nominee here. Okay, well, then, he's, then they both cancel each other out. Like, there's no way. Nathan McKinnon was the, was the straw, the cup, and the drink that all stirred itself in, uh, in Colorado. And the fact that he lost, and some people didn't even have him on their ballots – were, were, the, were the Avalanche televised? Were their games televised this year? It's remarkable. These, it just, I, I love how these award, these award ballots go now because it just shows that, like, you can't watch everything. And I get that. You can't watch every game. It's impossible. You know, I didn't, I didn't watch the, the what the, uh, I think it was the, what was the first round series with the Islanders? Is that Washington, the Islanders? Florida? Yeah. I oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't watch that series. Like, you can't watch everything. But at the same, but at a certain point, you have to look at it. Like, look at the, even the raw stats and go, okay, maybe the guy who has like literally 40 more points and the next closest scoring guy in his own team, who's also like a perennial heart nominee, as we talked about, who's also, you know, a great, maybe the most complete two-way forward in the game. Maybe he should get this award over the guy who, like we said, might not even have, might not even be the best guy in his own line. And yeah, I, I just, it just boggles my mind. That there's a reason why we have these two awards why the Ted Lindsay and the Hart are different. And for Drysaddle to win both of these, when he plays with Connor McDavid is ridiculous. It just, yeah, I, sorry. That's my little rant there because okay. you, you said you weren't mad about it. I clearly am. So Mike Stevens, uh, not for Leon Drysaddle winning the Hart. What uh, Nathan McKinnon did have though, mm-hmm. was a Calder Trophy winner, which isn't nothing. Mm-hmm. It's not Connor McDavid, but it isn't nothing. Uh, Kale McCarr was... My selection for the Calder Trophy, I think he was the most outstanding rookie this year. I think he's the guy who is a future Norris winner, maybe a guy who dominates the award because I think he's just that good. I was actually a little surprised, though, not that he won it, but how soundly he won it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw polls during the season. You know, McCarr was out for a little bit, and Quinn Hughes was having his time. We saw a lot of, you know, a lot of people pining for uh, Quinn Hughes over the course of the regular season and and I guess into the playoffs a little bit or until the latter stages of the regular season. I And we saw votes that were just like pretty neck and neck, right? When we did little polls with NHL.com or whatever, yeah. it looked like it was going to be a close one. But McCarr won this handily. I'm not mad about it. I know a lot of people are, but I think McCarr was the most outstanding rookie. And if we're going for, you know, if we're looking at it a little deeper, I mean, he played 11 fewer games and he only got outscored by three points. So as much as Quinn Hughes was a volume guy, a volume production guy for Vancouver and in, crucial to their power play. I mean, if, if you're looking at it by shift by shift, McCarr just did more with his time on the ice. So uh, I don't think there's any, any reason to believe that McCarr shouldn't have won, uh, but I am surprised that it was so close. Yeah, or that it, wasn't it was, close, sorry. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a lot more. I was expecting this to be really neck and neck with them. We have to remember that these are awards that were voted on like six months ago. Like the, you cannot, if, if we're taking the, the playoffs into account then I think that Hughes might might even have the edge like Hughes was incredible like it was close Hughes was was good too though yeah that's true true, actually it would at least be way closer than ended up being I was I'm I was on the McCarr train for sure I thought you know he just he does stuff that that I've never seen let alone a rookie defenseman um so it's great for him but yeah I, I I was really surprised at just how different 
how, yeah, the disparity. And uh, look, give credit to Dominic Kubalik as well. The guy had 31, 31 goals. He was, uh, I think he's 24, so he's a bit older than all these guys. But he, mm-hmm. came, he came in, he had the, uh, I like to call it the Dion Phaneuf uh, place, where in 2005, 2006, it was Crosby and Ovechkin battling out for the Calder, and then Dion Phaneuf bringing up the just, rear in third place. Just a free trip to, well, it wasn't Vegas back then, maybe a free trip to like Pittsburgh or something exactly. where the NHL awards were that year. Yeah, so good, good on, good on Dominic Kubli getting the Dion Phaneuf third bronze medal in the in the Calder voting. There you go. He'll always have that. Uh, last two, Norris and the Vesna, the Norris Trophy best defenseman, went to Roman Yossi. I don't know if I'm a little surprised, but uh, he did run away with it, which seemed a little curious. Mm-hmm. And uh, Connor Hellbuck won the Vesna Trophy as the league's top netminder. Any any hot takes? Any strong opinions here? I, I, you mentioned not you know you don't watch every game. I didn't see much of Nashville this year, so his brilliance. Maybe I'm not the best to, to talk about it, but I think Hellebuck was pretty clearly the top netminder this year, having to deal with the losses on defense and just turning what was supposed to be, uh, or a lot of people had pegged as a non-playoff team and turning them into a playoff team, or at least one that got into the qualification. You know, eight nine seed. Yeah, you you talked about the amount of game that the lightning uh back end had i'm pretty sure at the start of the year the jets back end had like 500 games collectively together yeah josh morrissey's led led with like 200 probably exactly it was crazy and so the fact that hellebuck not only not only treaded water like that would have been that would have been a you know a herculean feat behind that blue line him treading water but he led the league in shutouts he had what a nine it was was a nine uh 20 i think it was or a nine something really good i think it was nine twenty. Um, yeah, he was, he was, he played remarkable this year. That's, that's a no doubter right there. The fact that Frederick Anderson got a, I think it was a first team all-star, um, vote. It was just ridiculous because this was his worst season in, mm-hmm. at least I can remember, at least as a lead. And then Yossi for the Norris, look, I, from what I can tell, the, the defensive numbers say that they were better than in recent years than they, they have been with him. Um, this seems like his revenant. This seems Feels like, like a lifetime achievement, yeah. Yeah, this seems like his, you know, his revenant when he should have won for Wolf of Wall Street. This, this seems like something like that, where it's, and I know that's the movie reference, so just bear with me. I think Leo I got it, Leo? Leo? Yeah, it's Leo, yeah, Leo. exactly. Everyone, look, we've all known that Roman Yossi's a good defenseman for years. You know, hockey men have told us that. The, the media's told us that. He's always being mentioned in the same sentence as all these guys. And at this point, I think he, he just was good enough in, 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 in you know, at, at a certain point with defensemen, he was just good enough offensively for these writers to justify it. Because although we talk about, you know, the, the 200 foot game that, that, you know, really matters in the playoffs, we still just give, we ended up just giving these awards to the best offensive player, no matter what. I was actually surprised that John Carlson didn't win it because. For that he, reason alone, yeah. Yeah. So it's good on Yossi. He's clearly, you know, he's the captain in uh, in Nashville. He's a stud. And uh, also he's, he also sets a bar because Alex Petrangelo did not win the Norris. So he cannot, Ask for more money than uh, Norris, now Norris um, Trophy winner, Roman Yossi. So that at least brings him below nine, I'm pretty sure, which will make it easier for the Leafs to fit him in in a couple of weeks. That was a great close. But I do want to ask you what the worst vote submitted was because there was a lot of sketchy. There were. You know, this was a couple, bad year. <laughs> I love how you just see a vote. You know, you don't see any, you don't, no one has their name on it. You just yeah. see a vote here, vote there. That just doesn't make any sense. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the uh, floor to basically tell us what the worst vote cast by the PWHA, PWHA. PHWA, right? PHWA. Yeah, yeah. PHWA. What was the ber- worst vote cast, Mike Stevens? Okay, so there was, there was a couple, but the two that are on my mind are <laughs> Tristan Jari got a heart vote. Like, what? That was, I was, ex- like, if he got, like, a Vesna vote, I'd be like, okay, it's a bit of a stretch, but he was good. Like, it was fine. Getting a heart vote? Are you kidding? He played 33 games. Like, what do you, <laughs> like, that boggled my mind. I thought it was a typo. And the amount of Esselindel that I was getting in Norris votes was ridiculous. He's not even the, he's not even the second best defenseman on his own team. Like, no. I, I think that a lot of writers just, they don't watch Dallas games. And so they're like, oh, but Dallas is doing is is a really good defensive team. So we need to get one of their best, one of their you know top line guys. So they Google like Dallas defenseman, and maybe like alphabetically he popped up first because you have Heiskanen and Kling, Klingberg right there. Like, I, why Esselindel? It, it's crazy, but Jari, absolutely the one that just floored me. I was like, how? What was this? Like, was is this? Uh, I don't know. Like, this had to be some 
Pittsburgh homer. It had to be like a Rob Rossi or someone. He does great stuff, but he's a big Pittsburgh guy. He's got the accent. I'm wondering, man, it's got, it's got to be him. Like this, this is crazy. I don't want to out anyone here, but oh, get, giving Tristan Jari a heart vote. Come on. See, I, I like, I get why people rip on the voting and like they, they tee off on these, you know, little, not mistakes, these just these stray votes, I guess we'll call them. But I think the system is perfect. I think they pretty, I mean, they pretty it's much fun. get who, we get who should win, right? Yeah. I mean, unless, unless you're Nathan McKinnon and Mike yes. Stevens and you believe that Leon Dreisaitl's season was not worth an MVP, which I get, like there's debate, right? But we normally get who should win because we have enough people voting, right? But then we get these little, you know, funny things it. to talk about after. Like, it's perfect. We need this. Oh, it's, it's incredible. It's free comedy. It's free content. I yeah. love it. I love how we just, there's, you know, normally there's a consensus. Normally, it, you know, like you said, it, follow, it follows like, you know, a, a pretty much it's a group thing. It's the NHL, whatever. And like you said, then we get these random little nuggets of just like, what the hell? Just like, what was this person thinking? Trist, you get a Tristan Jari heart vote where you get uh it was like in 2013, I think, you get a Nazem Kadri Selkie vote or something like that. And it was just like, everyone just goes, what? Who did that? Or uh, in 2013, James Reimer got a heart vote. I remember that was big. Everyone going like, what? I love it. This is free comedy. Anyone who gets actually like legitimately mad at these crazy, I'm, I'm mad at the snubs, but I'm not mad at the crazy votes because it just shows the quirks. It just shows that some reporters they're not as, as unbiased as they like to think they are. And I think that, or, and it's just fun to talk about. So yeah, vote, vote to your heart's content. Go out and vote for, for these awards. It's great content for us. We love to talk about it. And I'm going to love to see Nathan McKinnon one day win a heart trophy because he's going to do it. I mean, Yossi, ninth year, Norris trophy. Nathan McKinnon's going to get there eventually. It wasn't his year this year, but any year coming up could end, end up being his year because he's the best player on what may, might be the best team for the next three to five years. So uh, I think one day you'll be happy, Mike Stevens. It's coming. It's coming for Nate. One day. We'll get there. Okay, we're going to get to game three on Wednesday night because the Stanley Cup final we will resume. Again, 3-2 the final for the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Stanley Cup final is square at a game apiece. And it looks like it could be going the distance. I don't want to jinx anything. Uh, but this should just get better and better as it goes on, I hope. Mike, that's it for me. Bye.